Well, today is going to be the last day or the last message for the series of uh, Grace, Faith, and Glory. And uh, we've been on this particular series for uh, nearly three months, I believe, and um, we'll wrap it up today. And uh, for the last couple of months, we've been talking about the grace of God. We've talked about what it means to live by faith. And now over the last couple of weeks, we've even started talking about what it means to live a life for the glory of God. Uh, we've been marked by this statement uh, since the beginning of this particular series. And that is that we are people of grace who live by faith for the glory of God. Together, once again, we are people of grace who live by faith for the glory of God. One last time. We are people of grace who live by faith for the glory of God. So we, we kind of started dissecting that statement and go taking it piece by piece. And so we talked about what it means that we are people of grace. We talked about what it means to live by faith. And now we're talking about what it means to live for the glory of God. Again, like I said over the last couple of times, the Bible talks about the glory of God in several different ways. Uh, we're not talking necessarily about the goodness of God. We're not necessarily talking about the manifest presence of God, even though those two are uh, representations of the glory of God. What we are talking about is uh, a living Living our lives in such a way that God's get pleasure out of our lives. Living our life in such a way that, that God gets honor out of our lives. If you understand that, say amen. amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Let's open our Bibles there. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Last week we, we talked about how when we reach uh, uh, out to the lost, when we uh, raise people from the dead spiritually, and when we give sight to the blind spiritually, when we do our part in that whole process, we bring glory to God. In the same way, today we're going to see that there's another way in which you and I bring glory to God, and this is one of the most, uh, this is also a vital uh, uh, ingredient in the life of a Christian. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9 says, who, um, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. I like that phrase, before time began. That means you are not here by accident, that even before time itself as we know it began, God had a plan, God had a purpose for every single one of us. Amen. And so uh, uh, in this particular verse, what we, we there are four different things that we come to know about our relationship with God. It starts off by saying that God saved us. And then number two, it says that God called us. And then if you see in, in uh, 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 the third line, it says we have been purposed by God. And then in the fourth line that we have been graced by God. Okay, four things. God has saved you. God has called you, God has purposed you, or he has given you a purpose, and then God has graced you to fulfill that purpose and that calling that he has called you with. Amen. Now, this grace, once again, is not talking about the grace that leads you to salvation, but this is the grace, the empowerment, the enablement uh, uh, that God places upon your life to do what God has called you to do, to accomplish, to run the race, to accomplish uh, the, 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 the destiny that God has set for your life. Now, with that in mind, turn to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians 5.13. 
Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or excuse for selfishness. But through love should serve one another. Now, so there is a contrast in this particular verse. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he's saying, hey, all of you, now that you are saved, now that you believe in Jesus, you have walked into a freedom that you did not possess before because under the law, they were not free. They were slaves to the law. But now that they have been redeemed from the law and now that they're in Christ Jesus, he says, now you've walked into a freedom. He says, but let me tell you something about this freedom. He says, don't use this freedom for your selfish gain. He says, don't use Use this freedom simply uh, for the selfish or fleshly desires. But instead of doing that, in contrast to that, he tells us to do something else. He says, instead of doing this, he says, through love, you should serve one another. Everyone say, serve one another. That means you have been called to freedom. You have the opportunity to do whatever it is that you feel you need to do in your life. But he says, here's my advice to you. Here's what I'm going to tell you as the apostle, as your spiritual father in the faith. He says to the church in Galatia, your freedom, here's how you need to be using it. You need to be using that freedom to serve one another. Not to compete with one another, not to fight with one another, but to serve one another. You see, when, when, when Paul was writing this to the church, and, and here's one of the things we need to understand regarding the church. I think we, we've, we've kind of uh, have a skewed idea of what the church is. We think church is a place where we go once a week for maybe an hour, maybe two hours, depending on the type of church you go to, maybe three or six hours. And so you go to the church for a couple of hours a week, and then you go home and you think you've done your job for the week. But the reality is, when God began the church, God's intent for the church was never that it would be a visiting place. It was never meant to be a place that you would visit once a week and then say goodbye to it and say, okay, until next time, you know, see you later. That was not the intent. God's intent when, it, when the church began is the way we are supposed to uh, um, associate with the church and get involved in the church is that when we come to the church that we need to be loving one another. That means we actually need to get to know each other. We need to be loving one another and we need to be serving one another. But, but if we don't have that mindset, a lot of times what happens is we come to church thinking we need to be serviced by other people. And so what happens a lot of times, again, this is not just a, a critique of, of what happens here in our local church, but this is what happens all around the world. Many millions, if not billions of people on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, we, they go to church and then they sit in the pews or in the chairs and then they're waiting to rate what is taking place on the stage. Or they're rating, waiting to rate what is taking place with the kids in the Sunday school. Or they're waiting to rate how comfortable they uh, and, and how clean they've maintained the church for when they show up. Or how comfortable the parking lot is and how all the arrangements are made. In other words, we think we're going to a resort. And we think, okay, I'm, uh, by the time I leave this place, now I, I'm, I'm going to decide if I have to give it a five-star rating or a four or a three or a two or a one. And now we think, okay, I, I, I'm going to, this is, I am the customer, you do what is necessary for me. Now, if you're not a born-again child of God, that's okay. But if you're a child of God, 
That means if you have placed your faith in Christ, then your attitude regarding the church has to change. Because you belong to the church. You are part of the church. You are no longer just a visitor who comes and says goodbye, but you are the one that is helping run the church. Are you understanding that? There's a difference between going to a restaurant that, that, that somebody else owns, you eat and, and, and then you leave, and then the way you go uh, to a restaurant, if you have ownership of the restaurant, there's a difference in the attitude. Are you understanding? Because you understand what is taking place behind the scenes, how hard people are working, everything that goes on. So also with you and I, if, if, if you are, are a child of God, if you've been planted in a church, you are no longer just a visitor who comes and goes, but you ought to be involved in the life of the church. You ought to be one of the people that are actively serving in the church. And when you serve... Please understand, the church, again, is not a building. The church is what Jesus gave his life up for. And it is the church for which Jesus is coming back. Do you understand that? That's how important the church is. Jesus gave up his life for the church in the beginning, and then he is also coming back for the church. So today in the time that we have, I want to talk to you about how important it is for you to be serving in the local church and how that brings glory to God. Here are a couple of reasons why you should be serving to church. Number one, we were created for service. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, let's quickly look, uh, uh, look at this verse. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, what were you created in Christ Jesus for? Good works. The very reason you were created, the new birth, the born again experience that you had, the reason you are born again in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, is for good works. It's not just so that you can attend. It's not just so that you can experience the results of someone else's good work. But there has to come a point in your life where you actually are the one that is doing the good work. Are you understanding that? You see, every single one of you, if you're a born again child of God, you are seated where you are seated. You are experiencing the things of God in your life only because someone else decided to serve. Only because someone else decided to serve. In fact, just if you, if you just take this one service that we have, and, and if you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm in a pretty comfortable place, the chairs are organized, okay, everything's working, and, and I'm able to hear the pastor clearly, and I'm not disturbed by the noises from the outside or, 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 or anything else, that's because people are serving you right now. In fact, understand this, I'm not the only one serving you right now. Behind the scenes, there are at least about 20 people serving you right now. It's because of their service, you're able to get the word that you are getting. And more importantly, at some point in your life, because someone else served is the very reason why you are even saved this evening. Are you understanding that? Reason number two. Why should we be serving? We were saved for service. 
Second Timothy chapter one and verse nine. Let me read the same verse. We, we read this earlier. I'll read it from the new living Bible. Uh, uh, the living Bible says it is he who has saved us and chose us for his holy work. What, were, what are we saved for? His holy work. Every single one of us. Then it goes on to say, not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. To show his love and kindness to us through Christ. To show his love and kindness uh, um, to us through Christ. We saw the love and kindness of God because somebody decided to serve us. You see, it goes, it, it start, the verse starts off by saying you were saved to do his holy work. And because somebody did his holy work, now what happened? You saw God's love and kindness in your life. Are you understanding that? This is something that has been happening for centuries on end. And we have to make sure that we are not just people who are receiving the benefits of other people serving. But we get to the point where we actually start serving other people so that other people can benefit from our lives as well. Galatians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16. It says, but when it pleased God who separated me from the mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer it with flesh and blood. Again, this is Galatians, which means Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he's saying, God separated me from my mother's womb. In verse 16, he says, to reveal his son in me. Why reveal his son in me? He says, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, God revealed his son in me so that I might serve the Gentiles. Are you understanding that? Every single one of us has to understand, God gives you something so that you can give away something. You are blessed to be a blessing. God gives you something, not just so that you can enjoy. He wants you to enjoy because the Bible says he gives us richly all things to enjoy. So there's nothing wrong with you enjoying, but there you also have to understand with receiving from God comes the responsibility of what you will do with what you have received from God. And so once you receive something from God, now the next question is, okay, what do I do with this? And God says, pass it along. Don't be selfish with it. Don't be a hoarder of everything that you get from me, but pass it along. So, so Paul, the apostle says, God saved me, but I know he just did not save me to save me. That's not the end of the story. He says, God saved me so that I can save many more. So he says, he, he, he revealed his son in me so that I might preach to the Gentiles or so that I might serve the Gentiles. Reason number three, why should we serve? Number one, I said we, we were created for service. Number two, we're saved for service. Number three, we're called to service. We are called to service. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Worthy of the calling you have received. Here's what I want you to know. Every single one of you have been called by God. Calling is not something that is only relegated to the people who stand behind the pulpit and preach the word. Calling is not just relegated to the guys or the girls that stand on the, uh, on the stage who sing a couple of songs. 
Those are not the only people that are called. Every single one of you have been called. That's why what we read in the very the first verse that we started off with, it says you have been saved by God, you've been called by God, you have been purposed by God, and you have been graced by God. This very second thing is that you've been called by God. See, the, the, there's a misunderstanding in what we think is calling. Because we only think calling is preaching and singing. When you think about your own life, many Christians think, well, I don't have a call on my life. No, that's, that's, nothing can be further away, away from the truth. Just because you're not called to preach does not mean you don't have a calling. You do have a calling. In fact, the way the church is supposed to operate, see, we think that the people who stand here are supposed to do the work of the ministry. If you read the book of Acts, when the, uh, when the church was birthed, the pastors and the, pe the leaders were not the ones that were do the, the only ones that were doing the work of the ministry. The people that were appointed were administrating so that the church members were doing the work of the ministry. Which means, for example, if there is a church of 50 people and they have a pastor, that means there are 50 ministers in that church. If there is a church of 100 people and there is a pastor, that means there is a pastor with 100 ministers in the church. Which means what? That means if we're a church of 150 or 200, 500, it doesn't matter. Every single person that comes to the church, if you're a child of God, you've, you, you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus. In that very moment came the calling of God upon your life. In that moment came the ministry that God has appointed you to. Now, so, so what do the pastors and the, and the associate pastors and, and, and if, if the church has a staff, what do they do? They help in administrating you doing the work of the ministry. And their administration is their ministry. Are you understanding this? I said, are you understanding this? That means every single one of you, I don't care if you're on the college campus, I don't care if you're married, if you're working for the government, if you own your own business, it doesn't matter. You're called to work the work of the ministry every single one of you once you understand that our you, you you begin to understand that the only way for a Christian to live is live a life of serving see our calling demands that we live a life of service there's no other way for a Christian to live there's a, a Christian who's only looking for other people to serve them they don't really understand the gospel they don't really understand the Savior that they worship Reason number four that you're supposed to serve is because you're gifted for service. You're gifted for service. First Peter chapter four and verse 10. It says, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. Passing on to each, uh, to others God's many kinds of blessings. Again, let me read the first part once again. You can look on the screen if, if it's a different translation. Uh, God has given each of you some special gifts. That means there's nobody here that does not have a gift. Every single one of you. Now, he doesn't say, you know, uh, 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 God has given each of you some special gifts. Be sure to use them for your career. He doesn't say, be sure to use them for your family. He doesn't say be sure to use them for, for making all the profits that you can for your family. He says be sure to use them 
to help each other. And what is he talking about? He's talking about in the context of the local church. So he's saying God has given every single one of you some special abilities, some special gifts and talents. He's saying, be sure that you use them to help one another. So here's, the, here's my question. If the Bible says that you have been given special abilities, that means you have them. What are you doing with them? What are we doing with the abilities that God has placed in our lives? Now, what we do is instead of using the abilities that God has given us, we like to compare our abilities with someone else's abilities. So we say, yeah, 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 but, but, but I can't sing like Rohit. I can play like Sam. You know, I can't, I can't you know, uh, 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 take care of the sound like uh, 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 Jennifer Emmanuel back there. No, 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 you don't, you don't have to take care of that. You don't have to sing on stage. There's something that you can do. Every single one has a part to play. We're all the part of the body of Christ. See, the Bible talks about every single one has been joined together as God has purposed. Not as we have purposed, but as God has purposed. I, I recently heard about the story of this young man who was uh, a baseball player in, in the U.S. And uh, just like cricket, uh, uh, you know, any, any major uh, uh, sporting league, uh, uh, these superstars uh, sign huge contracts worth millions of dollars. And this young man, he signed a, a, a contract worth millions of dollars. And, and, you know, the prospects were great for him and they thought he was going to be a big superstar and all of this. And, and at some point, in, uh, 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 he injured his small toe. And they thought, okay, it's going to take some time, he'll recover and he'll be back. But unfortunately, that toe, the small toe, never completely healed the way it was supposed to heal. And so his throwing motion was affected and because his balance was just slightly off. And because it was slightly off, his throwing motion was never the same again. And because his throwing motion was never the same again, because of that little toe, not because his arm broke, not because his leg was fractured, but because his little toe was damaged. All of those prospects that he had, all the money that he thought he was going to make, he had to step away from it. Why? Because the little toe made a difference. Here's the thing. You might be the little toe, but you still make a difference. Don't compare yourself to the thumb. Don't compare yourself to the nose. Don't compare yourself to any other part of the body. God, If God made you a little toe, be glad that you're a little toe. But be glad that you're, body, you're part of the body of Christ. Which one would you like? Being a little toe in the body of Christ or being the, being the heart or being the face outside of the body of Christ? See, we, we, we forget what it means, the, the, the honor and privilege of even being a part of the body of Christ. And because we forget that, we compare and we complain. But when we know and when we understand, wait a minute, I might be a little toe, but I am gifted and I will be faithful with what I have been gifted. That's what God is looking for. Reason number five, why do we serve? We are commanded to serve. 
We're commanded to serve. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. These are the words of Jesus. He says, your attitude must be like my own. Now, this is important. If, if we say Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life, we better pay attention to what he's saying. And he says, your attitude should be like my own. Well, what kind of attitude did he have? He says, for I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve. So he says, hey, you want to follow me? Good. Here's the attitude with which you follow me. I know I'm the Messiah. It's not like he didn't know. So he boldly stands and says, I am the Messiah, but I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And he says, that's the attitude you should have. Now think about that. Think if, if we just had that kind of attitude in our everyday life. In our homes, in our offices, and even when we come to church. And we're not coming just to be served, but to serve. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong for you to be served. Again, the Bible says, serve one another. Which means you are going to be served. If you refuse service, then there's no one to serve. So it's not that it's, there's nothing wrong with you being served, but please understand that shouldn't be the end of the story. You receive and you give as well. Now, here's the question. Uh, uh, um, so, the attitude of a servant. So, so uh, for, for some of us that are already serving in the ministry, this is a, a hard check for you. So, some people can serve without the attitude of a servant. You can serve without the attitude of a servant. So, what's the attitude of the servant? Write this down. A servant does whenever, whatever, and wherever. A servant does Whenever, whatever, and wherever. That's the heart of a servant. And Jesus says, that's the kind of attitude, that's the heart with which you need to be serving. The next reason, reason number six, why do you need to serve? Your church family needs your service. Your church family needs your service. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27 says, Now here is what I am trying to say. All of you together are the one body of Christ. All of us are the one body of Christ. And each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. You are separate and necessary part of it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're necessary. Turn to the other one and say, you're necessary. You're necessary part of the local church. Now, when, when, you, when you understand that, when we really start getting this into our mind, we understand what that really means and what it requires out of you. You say, okay, let me ask you this. How many of you would like to see our church grow to 500 people? How about 1,000 people? Or 5,000 people? All right? Now... Do you know what that really means when we say that? All of us like the big numbers. What we're really saying is, 
That means we need a larger space. What we're really saying is we need more people serving in the Sunday school. What we're really saying is we need more ushers and greeters. What we're really saying is we need more musicians and singers. What we're really saying by that is we need more parking lot attendants. What we're really saying is we need more people to do small groups. What we're really saying is we need more people to open up their homes so that we can have small groups. What we're really saying is we need more people to join the prayer ministry in the church. What we're really really saying is we need more people to help set up and, and clean up and maintain the place of God. Are we understanding that? So, so growth is great, but who's going to do the work? We've got to do the work. The angels are not going to come and clean up the place. The angels are not going to sing for us. They're busy singing for God. Right? The angels are not going to take care of your kids. We've got to do it. And so we're separate, but every single one is needed and necessary in the body of Christ. Now, the next one, the next reason why you should serve, uh, you will find true life when you begin to serve. You will find true life when you begin to serve. Mark chapter 8 verse 35 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Now, this, this might not make sense to you right now. But here's the thing. If Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, you better believe his word. You better trust his word, even if it doesn't make sense to you. How many of you went through a, a, a period in your life when something that your parents or your elders would say, tell you something over and over again, and you think, that makes no sense to me. I don't understand why they keep telling me this. That makes no sense. And then you grow a little older, and then now you look back and you say, oh, wait, that makes perfect sense now. And so when we read a scripture like this, Jesus is saying, oh, wait a minute, you hold on to your life, you lose it. If you lose it, then you gain it. Jesus, that makes no sense. Yeah, it might not make sense to you, but if you trusted him with your life, why not trust him when he says this? If you're trusting him for all of eternity, why not trust him with the few decades that you're going to live on this earth? With what he said. So he says, if you hold on to your career so tightly that there's no time for you to serve, then he says, you are going to lose your life. Now, here's what he says. He does not say you may lose your life. No, no, no. He says, you will. Now, when God says you will, guess what? You will. It's a promise. Again, we, it's, it, it's not a promise that we like to quote every day of our life. But it's still a promise. He's saying you hold on to your future. You hold on to your career. You hold on to your uh, possessions. You hold on to your family. You hold on to your education so tightly. He says you're going to lose life. Now am I saying family is bad? No. Am I saying education is bad? No. Am I saying career is bad? No. All great things. Family is an institution that, that is started by God. It's a godly thing. We've got to be, if you're a parent, be a responsible parent. If you're a husband, be a godly husband. If you're a wife, be a godly wife. All of those things. But don't hold on to your family too tight. Nothing wrong with having possessions, but don't hold on to them too tight. 
Nothing wrong with having a good job and, 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 and going higher and higher in your careers, but don't hold on to it too tight. Nothing wrong with getting a good education. If you're in college, if you're going through courses, work hard, get the best grades possible, but don't hold on to it too tight. Why? Because when you hold on to it too tight, you're ultimately going to lose the very life that God came to give you. But he says, even though you have all of those things, lose them for my sake, not just for a frivolous reason. He says, lose them for my sake. Lose them for the gospel's sake, for the good news's sake. If you lose them for my sake, Jesus says, you will truly find life. You will know life like you've never known before. See, it's important for us to understand this. If we don't understand that God has a greater plan for our lives, that our calling is much greater than just having a, a job or starting a business, then we think that's the greatest that our life can ever be. And so for many Christians, the biggest dream that they can have is to, to finish their education and get a job, and preferably get a job in a foreign land. And then get married, have kids, have that job for a few decades, get old, and die peacefully. That's the, I mean, let's be honest, for many people, that's the highest goal of their life. That's the highest dream of their life. That's the highest calling of their life. I mean, come on, think about it. Do you think that's God's best for us? Do you think that's the reason why we're still alive? So you can type away on a computer for the next few decades and then die? That you can work on a project for the next few decades and then you say, die? Oh, he lived a great life. You think that's the best that God has for us? We've been called for so much more. But the way we find the so much more is by serving. That's why Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, he doesn't have the problem with you being the greatest. He says, if you want to be the greatest, you need to learn to get down on your knees. He, he, he didn't say, if you want to be the greatest, stop having those evil desires. No, he doesn't have a problem with you being the greatest. His only thing is, if you want to get to the top, if you want to be the greatest, here's how. Serve one another. Lose your life for my sake. Lose your life for the gospel's sake. That's how you become the greatest. Let's look at another reason very quickly. Um, you will be held accountable for your service. Why do you need to serve? Because you will be held accountable for your service. Romans chapter 14 and verse 12 simply says, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. I mean, plain and simple. All the married men, on that day you're not going to get have your wife next to you and say, You answer God. You're not going to get your husband to answer for you on that day. You're not going to have your kids or your parents answer for you on that day. So it says, each of you will give a personal account to God. So here's my question. What are you going to say? 
What are you going to say? It's a sobering thought. See, but if we don't take the time to think about it, we live like the rest of the world. I'm in my 20s, so I do this. I'm in my 30s, so I do this. I'm in my 40s, so I do this. I'm in my 50s, so I do this. I'm in my 60s, so I do this. I'm in my 70s, I'm getting ready to close. We think like the world. We operate like the world. But ultimately, we've got to remember, the day is coming. It's sooner than later. Every single day you're getting closer to the day you're going to stand before God. Every single day you're getting closer. You're getting closer. You're getting closer. To the day where you've got to stand before God and give an account. To the way you served other people with what you've done, with what has been given to you. And finally, the last reason why we need to serve. There is a reward for your service in eternity. John chapter 12 and verse 26 says, Whoever say, serves me must follow me, then my servant will be with me everywhere I am. My father will honor anyone who serves me. Again, it doesn't say my father will honor the pastors that serve me. It doesn't say my, my father will honor the prophets, the evangelists that serve me. My father will honor the praise and worship team that, that, that serves me. No, no, no. He says my father will honor, everybody say it out loud. My father will honor anyone. How many anyones do I have? All right. That means you have an opportunity to be honored by the father. The question is, are you going to be honored by the Father. He's giving the opportunity, but not everyone is going to be honored by the Father. Why? Because who are going to be the ones that are honored by the Father? The ones who serve. The ones who get down on their knees. The ones who get their hands dirty. The ones that lose their life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, for kingdom advancement. Matthew 25 and verse 23 says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Let me just stop right there. A lot of people wait to receive many things before they serve. Pastor, I'm just waiting for my job. Pastor, I'm just waiting to get married. Pastor, I'm just waiting for fill in the blank, whatever it is. And we say, once that happens, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I just don't have enough time, Pastor. You know what's interesting about this? The ones who always say, I don't have enough time, are the ones who have the most time. The ones that are actually serving, they have the busiest schedules. And they make time. I said this in the morning. Serving God and serving in the house of God has nothing to do with time. It has everything to do with your heart. Serving God and serving in the house of God has nothing to do with time. It has everything to do with the heart. See, how, how you receive the things of God will determine how you pass on the things of God. 
What kind of priority do you give God and his work? You see, this week I was, I was talking to, with, with a young man. He said, Pastor, I need a few minutes. And, and we started talking and he said, Pastor, it looks like um, I, might, um, uh, uh, I might have to shift to Bangalore because my manager uh, uh, came to me and, and, and said, you know, I need to work on a particular project. They're not finding other people, so they really want me to go. And I said, you know, uh, uh, it does. And then in the conversation, he said, this might be for, uh, at this point, it looks like it'll be at least for a few months, Pastor. But I don't want to stay there. I'm going to ask them to shift me back here. But at least for a few months, I'll have to go. Now, this is a young guy that, that, that helps me out from morning till evening. All three services he's here. He's here by almost 6 a.m. in the morning. And, and once everyone leaves, packs up everything. And, and by the time he leaves, usually around somewhere between 10 and 11 on a Sunday, every Sunday. And so I said, man, if, if, if it's a good move for you, if you're going to get an increase, if this moves you up the ladder, uh, and if you have peace in your heart, I'll pray for you and, and, and go for it. And I said, you know, but I'm going to miss you here. And we're going to miss you here. And as we were talking, he said, no, 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 pastor, you don't understand. Even if I go there, I'm, I'm already in conversation with my manager. I told him that even if I go there, I'm going to work it out in such a way that every weekend I'll still be back. He said, it's only Bangalore, pastor. Now, I didn't ask him. I didn't say, oh, no, 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 the church needs you. Don't go. I didn't tell him not to go. I didn't say, no, 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 I need you. We're starting a new uh, 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 campus. How can you think about leaving? No, no, no. I said, go for it. And his response is, Pastor, I'm only going to Bangalore. Only going to Bangalore. I'll be here every weekend, Pastor. Why? It, it has to do with the heart. Which means what? Like, I'm sure that he's not getting free tickets every weekend, which means he has to pay whatever way he decides to come. That means he's spending money every week and he's not going to get paid when he comes here and he's giving off his time and which means he's going to be even more tired. And he says, I'm only in Bangalore, Pastor. And on the other hand, why is it there are certain Christians who will be less than a kilometer away from the church? And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm just talking about the church globally. And I'm saying they're, they're, they're just a kilometer, five kilometers away from the church. And we say, oh, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, you know, just coming, coming is becoming problem. Traffic, pastor, traffic. Why? It's an issue of the heart. That's why the Bible says, if you are faithful with the little, look at what he continues to say. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. How do you live a meaningful life? How do you live a life that glorifies God? How do we live a life that magnifies God? I mean, think about it. If, you, if we are children of God, how do you want your life to be remembered? When they think about your life, what is, what is it that people talk about? What is it that they think about? 
If it's just your career, if it's just the project that you worked on, if it's just the company that you built, if it's just the nice car that you drive or the way you look or the, or the clothes that you wear or the things that you possess, my friends, you are living a life way beneath what God has called you to live. If our lives don't represent and if our lives don't point to Jesus in some way, shape or form, we're missing out. We're missing out. You can earn all the money in the world and I don't have a problem with money. Make all the money that you can make. I've got no problems with that. But if it is stopping you from serving God, get rid of it. If you possess something in your life that keeps you away from God, get rid of it. I don't care if it's a car, I don't care if it's a, 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 a dress, I don't care if it's a TV, I don't care if it's the latest laptop, the latest gadget, I don't even care if it's a person. Unless you're married to them, get rid of them. If you're married to them, we'll pray for you. But if they're not anyone else, you're not obligated to carry them. That's why he says, lose your life for me. I mean, I am so thankful for the people who lost their life for the sake of the gospel. And that's the reason why I'm here. You know, even preparing for this message, I just started to think about my Sunday school teachers. I started to think about my youth leaders. I started to think about the people that used to serve in the church growing up, watching these, these older men, these older women in the church. They might not have even ever talked to me or impacted my life directly, but watching them faithfully come week in and week out and just serve in the church the way it has impacted my life. I can think about the, 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 the man while I was in the U.S., while I was going through college, this man, this guy named Anthony, he was a married man with three kids. Now that's it, that, there in itself is a full-time job. And on top of that, he had a full-time job. On top of that, he was pursuing two master's degrees at the same time. Now, so you can understand how busy he was. Now, this guy was also, uh, if, you, if you know anything about American football, NFL, he was one of, the, one of a, a retired NFL player. And yet, I remember the days, the hours that he would spend with me. After church, before church, in the middle of the week, every single time I was about to make a stupid decision, every single time I had a question about life, every single time I had a question about the word or decisions that I had to make, he would sit down and talk with me. What was he doing? He was serving. He was serving. And today I am the man that I am because of the time he spent with me, praying for me serving me and because of that every single person that gets blessed through my ministry every single person that gets saved through my ministry guess what he gets a reward for that he gets a reward for that i hope one day he comes and visits india but he never if if if, if ever he does not visit india 
through my life, he's making an impact. That's how you live a greater life. And God's called us for that. Every single one of us, we are called by God to live a life of service. Why? So that that's the way in which we glorify God. And that's the way we make sure that what has been given to us is now given to others as well. Now, as we close, let me just say this. Let's understand that and remember that we don't serve so that God can serve us. We serve because he has served us. We don't serve God to get something from him right now. We serve God because we have received or gotten something from him. How did he serve us? He served us by giving us his very life. He laid down his life on the cross for you and for me. So the question is, what are we going to do in response to that? How are you going to be involved in the life of the local church? How are you going to give time for the local church? 